You're listening to the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast with Chris and Garrett. Hello and welcome to the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast. I'm your host, Chris, and tonight we're kicking off our month-long series about conspiracy movies. But not just any conspiracy movies. We're looking at conspiracy movies from the 1970s. For those too young to remember, the 1970s were a time of political controversy, lack of public trust, and uncertainty. Movies tapped into that general sense of mistrust and skepticism and basically said, you're not paranoid, someone is out to get you. And nowhere is that more the tone than in Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation from 1974. In the movie, Gene Hackman plays Harry Call a surveillance expert who's hired by someone in the government to record a private conversation between a man and a woman in a busy square in San Francisco. Who is this couple, and what are they talking about? Well, it's hard to know because of the noisy environment and the fact that Call doesn't really care. To him, it's just a job, at first. But when the conversation begins to yield talk of a possible murder, Call begins an investigation that threatens to unravel his life, his sanity, and his privacy. When the conversation was released in 1974, the United States was in the midst of the Watergate controversy. Just a few months after the movie's release, President Richard Nixon resigned from office to avoid impeachment for trying to cover up the Watergate scandal. While audiences might have thought that the conversation was inspired by the events of the time, The fact is, director Francis Ford Coppola had developed the idea for the movie in the late 60s, and only after his success with The Godfather in 1972 was he able to get the green light to make the conversation. Now, side note, Coppola learned that the surveillance and wiretapping techniques and equipment used in the conversation were the same types that members of the Nixon administration used to eavesdrop on their political opponents. So, Definitely, this movie uh, was very well researched. Uh, Coppola spoke to a number of experts. There was uh, advisors for the movie who really ensured that when this movie came out, it was based on the latest wiretapping and surveillance technology. Now, watching the conversation again this week in preparation for this episode... I was reminded again and again about how relevant this movie still is today, uh, especially in light of the general mistrust of the government and privacy issues with regards to technology. So if you've never seen the conversation, uh, first of all, I would say you need to see the conversation. It's a great movie, uh, and it's definitely um, a worthy addition to the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast Library. you may find that if you watch it now, that despite the dated look, although it's not too dated, but despite its dated look, much of what it has to say about privacy, conspiracies, and surveillance is just as fresh and relevant today as it was back then. This was not the last time Gene Hackman would play a surveillance expert. In 1998, Hackman appeared with Will Smith in the movie Enemy of the State, playing a former NSA agent who looks and acts much like an older Harry Call. In fact, when images are shown in the movie of the younger version of Hackman's character, those images were taken from the conversation. This has led some movie fans to speculate that the character in Enemy of the State 
is in fact an older Harry Call. This has been unconfirmed by the movie's filmmakers. I personally think that Michael Bay is probably a fan of the conversation, and when he learned that he could get Gene Hackman for the role, I think it just made sense to at least, if it's not Harry Call, it's at least a sort of tribute to Harry Call. And so um, it's fun. I would recommend that after you watch the conversation, go watch Enemy of the State and decide for yourself. I personally think it is Call, um, because as a fan of this movie, uh, the, the ending to the movie is very ambiguous, which was very common for 70s movies, especially movies of this nature. Uh, a lot of downbeat endings, not happy endings, and the way that the conversation ends, which I'm not going to spoil, um, has always made me wonder what happened to Harry after this. And so when you watch Enemy of the State, it does, in a kind of way, uh, give you a postscript so you can see, like, okay, this is what might have happened to him. Uh, and it, I think it's very fitting. But to, listen, don't take my word for this. Um, you know, if you're new to the conversation, uh, I've got other folks who have um, voted this as one of their, their favorite movies or one of their best movies. Uh, I know uh, Roger Ebert had it on his list of, of kind of greatest movies of all time. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola and Gene Hackman have on occasion said that this was the best film that they ever did. Uh, I'm inclined to agree, even though I like Coppola and I think The Godfather and Apocalypse Now. Uh, I also like uh, The Rainmaker, which he did with uh, um, Matt Damon uh, several years back. Um, I think they're good, but the conversation to me is such a good movie in that I have seen it now about a half a dozen times and... As I mentioned earlier, I watched it again in preparation for this week, and I was amazed at how I continue to, to notice things that I haven't noticed previously. Just little things here and there that really add to the experience. Uh, and one of those things uh, was, uh, I'll talk about in just a minute, uh, but what I wanted to touch on, this kind of leads up to, the, to what I was going to mention, is... Uh, in addition to having this really interesting story and this really interesting look at surveillance and privacy, the conversation has a very impressive cast. Uh, Frederick Forrest, who sadly passed away last year, uh, Cindy Williams, who passed away recently, uh, Terry Garr, Robert Duvall uh, are all in this movie, and also a uh, in a very small but very menacing performance, Harrison Ford. A young Harrison Ford appears in this movie as Martin Stett, who is essentially an assistant or an advisor to Robert Duvall's government character, who's known only as the director. Um, he is essentially uh, Harry Call's boss uh, in this movie. He's the one who hires Harry to uh, do the wiretapping on the, the man and the woman. Now, Harrison Ford, the role was intended to be small. It was intended to be not much more than essentially a cameo. But Ford decided to play the character differently than it was in the script. He actually decided to play the character as gay, which back in 1974 uh, was pretty controversial. Uh, but Ford, reading the script, thought it, it might be interesting to do this. And, and not only did he think it was an interesting idea, he went so far as to shell out about 
900 bucks of his own money to buy this flamboyant silk suit that he wore. Uh, and when Coppola saw it he, and saw what Ford was doing, he was surprised uh, at Ford's choice. But after talking with Ford, uh, he liked the interpretation and decided to expand the role based on Ford's work. And so he wound up giving the character a name, Martin Stett, and fleshed out the role a little bit. And he even had the production designer decorate Stett's office with his sexual orientation in mind. Uh, so it's something that I didn't even know this until doing research on this movie earlier this week. And so, again, it's like there are things in this movie that maybe the first time you watch it or the second time you watch it, you don't necessarily pick up on. But after doing that research and going back and watching the movie, it's like, that makes sense. I see it now. Um, speaking of Harrison Ford, eagle-eyed viewers, if you pay careful attention in the opening sequence, which takes place in this giant uh, town square in San Francisco, you will see a man with a yellow hat. That man is the legendary Billy D. Williams, who would go on to play Lando Calrissian opposite Harrison Ford in The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, and there's also, this cast would continue to work together. Uh, Harrison Ford and Robert Duvall uh, appeared in another Coppola film in 1979, Apocalypse Now. Uh, there's also another familiar face in that opening sequence, and this is, uh, this is really kind of for, for those of you who are children of the 70s, uh, but if you pay attention in the opening sequence, there is a street mime. That street mime is played by Robert Shields, who was actually part of a popular mime duo in the 1970s called Shields and Yarnell. They had a TV show, and uh, yeah, so he plays the, the street mime. And I think one thing that comes out of this is that uh, street mimes were, I think, largely derided in 1974, just probably as much as they are today. Um, but that was another kind of keep your eye out for that. Uh, if you're familiar with Robert Shields. So one of the things that I, I like to do when uh, I'm doing research on a film is obviously I go on the internet, I look up as much as I can about the movie, and one area that I go to, and I, maybe I'm kind of divulging secrets, but I'm trying to be transparent here and not uh, to be kind of the antithesis of the conversation to be upfront and explain uh, what's going on here and how I put these episodes together. One of the things that I love to do is I go to IMDb, uh, the internet movie database, and I will look at the trivia for the movies that we cover. And uh, this one for the conversation was not disappointing. There's a lot of fun little tidbits of trivia. I will not go through all of these. I don't want to spoil it for you. Watch them. Excuse me. Watch the movie. Then come check this out. It's definitely, inter excuse me. And it's definitely interesting to kind of pick up on some tidbits. Uh, but I would encourage you to do it after you've seen the movie or after you've watched it again. If you've seen this movie before, if you've seen it multiple times, you know, go check it out. There's some really great tidbits here. One of the things that, uh, that I learned that I was pleasantly surprised, um, and I think it's just a testament to uh, Gene Hackman's commitment to his roles, uh, he learned to play the saxophone for this film. Uh, and that is something that uh, Harry Call, I think it's kind of an outlet for him that he plays the saxophone. Uh, I think it's kind of settles him and soothes him. 
and he learned to play the saxophone for this role. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, Hackman has reportedly said that this was his favorite movie that he acted in. And I think it, I, I understand that. I understand him saying that because this role is very different from other roles that that Hackman has played. It is a very subtle performance. It is a very nuanced performance, but there's so much depth to it. But what's interesting is, in a way, uh, Coppola cast Hackman against type. Uh, at the time, Hackman was, you know, in his prime. He was fit. He was a, you know, decent-looking guy. But Coppola wanted him to look kind of, you know, like a nerd. Wanted him to look kind of frumpy. So he made sure that the clothes that uh, that Hackman wore were about ten years out of date. Um, he gave him glasses that just didn't, you know, that looked old. Uh, but he really wanted uh, Hackman to look kind of nerdish or nerdy, and uh, it definitely, you know, because this guy is a surveillance expert. He he tinkers with audio equipment and recording, and so. Um, Apparently, that was, uh, at, at first, a bit of a challenge for Hackman, just playing against type. But I think it really demonstrated the the depth and the breadth of his acting ability because he completely sells it. Um, and he is, you know, just absolutely uh, on point with this performance. A another bit of trivia that came up that will not spoil your viewing of the movie if you've never seen it. So originally the character's name, uh, Call, was spelled C-A-L-L. -L, but there was a, a typing error during the process or during the making of the movie that replaced it with C-A-U-L. And rather than correct it, Coppola liked keeping it that way because the word call actually means a birth defect that causes essentially a membrane to surround one's head. And he thought that this kind of tied with the character of kind of being isolated and removed from the world around him. But also, uh, there's a rain jacket that uh, Hackman wears in the movie that's transparent. And he wears it a lot in the movie. And um, in fact, this kind of translucency is an element that constantly recurs through the movie. And so uh, it seemed very apropos that that typo actually kind of led to this or kind of supported this whole approach that Coppola was taking with the character as well as Hackman. Now, I mentioned earlier that this movie came out during uh, the Watergate conspiracy, and a lot of folks were thinking that this was inspired or informed by um, Watergate, but it couldn't be further from the truth. Um, but Coppola was surprised to find out that a lot of what went on in Watergate utilized technology, utilized equipment and techniques that are highlighted in the conversation. So I think it's one of those situations of the movie came out at the right time and it really struck a nerve with audiences. And I think that's part of the reason why this movie uh, is remembered so well, because not only did it capitalize on the time in which it was um, released in theaters, uh, I think it also was just a very compelling story. And it really spoke to audiences who were trying to wrap their heads around this fact of, 
you know, surveillance and, and just how privacy is something of an illusion in some cases, in most cases uh, today. And so, um, so all of this to say, it's definitely worth your time checking this movie out if you've never seen it before. Uh, I've mentioned on Instagram that as of this recording, it is available for streaming for free on Pluto, Pluto TV. So you have no excuse not to check it out. Um, and for those of you who've never seen it, and if this has you know, sparked any curiosity for you, um, check it out and let me know what you think. Uh, I always love to hear from folks who watch a movie that we've covered that they've never seen before. Uh, it's always fun to get those messages where people you know, will watch something that we've watched and they're like, I had no idea this movie existed, but I love it. Uh, I've had some people say, why did you cover this movie? It's horrible. <laughs> but uh, I think in the case of the conversation, uh, you know, if you like movies that require concentration, like paying attention to it, this is not a movie you want to watch while you're checking your phone. Um, it is subtle in a lot of ways, but if you pay attention, it will reward you for it. The other thing that I will mention um, and it's something that I want to be careful because I don't want to spoil anything in the movie. But one of the things that I really applaud Coppola for doing in this movie, and I've learned that this was something he did intentionally, is that the idea that there are cameras everywhere and that maybe even the movie camera that is capturing this movie is in a sense invading privacy so just think about that it's um there's some very interesting moments in the movie where you begin to wonder you know am i watching a movie or am i watching someone under surveillance so it's uh, i think uh you know coppola is often celebrated for the godfather and rightly so uh, for apocalypse now and rightly so but for me personally, and I say this with the utmost love because I think Francis Ford Coppola is an artist. I think he is part of a generation that saw George Lucas, William Friedkin, uh, Peter Bogdanovich, uh, Steven Spielberg, and, and on and on. Part of that, that generation of directors who I think were really trying to push movies in a new direction and do things that were innovative and, and interesting and entertaining. And I think the conversation has all of that. And so, um, if you've seen the, the conversation before, if what I'm, everything I'm saying is like, yes, 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 you're right, Chris, it's all that and more. Uh, I would encourage you watch this movie again. I think watching it now in light of all of the kind of privacy concerns that are in the world today, whether, you know, are our phones listening to us or, our, you know, devices like our Alexas and our, those kinds of things, you know, they're listening to us at all times. Or do we have, really, do we have privacy at all today? I think watching this movie, it may make you more paranoid, but I think, I think it is, um, it, it explores the issue in a way that really does um, make you think. And then also, um, while I don't think Enemy of the State is nearly a good film as the conversation. It is fun if you go into that movie thinking Gene Hackman's playing Harry Call again. 
Um, again, like I said earlier, I don't think that was the overt attempt or the intent, but I do think that uh, it's, it's fun to kind of think of it that way, is that it's almost like a sequel to the conversation. And I also just, uh, I'm not going to, like I said, this IMDb trivia page, there's a lot of great stuff in here. Um, I learned that this movie, actually, the original cut uh, was much, much longer than the finished version, uh, that Coppola cut out a lot of subplots. In fact, I think the original cut of the movie was four and a half hours long. Uh, there was a subplot with uh, Harry owning the building that he lives in and that basically he's dealing with the tenants in the building that he owns. Um, there were also some uh, scenes that were shot but cut from the movie um, with Abe Vigoda, who also appeared, I um, can't remember if he appeared in The Godfather 1 or 2. Um, audiences might best know him from the uh, 70s sitcom Barney Miller. He played uh, Detective Fish. But he plays um, Harry Call's attorney uh, in the movie. And then there was also um, some scenes with Mackenzie Phillips, another TV star who went on to play uh, a, one of the daughters in One Day at a Time, the 70s version. Um, he, she plays uh, Harry's niece uh, in the uncut version of this movie, but Coppola cut those scenes out because I think just from what I've read about those scenes, they really didn't add anything to the main story. And I think it's for the better because this movie, even though to some folks, I've heard people say in the past that it's slow, it's too quiet, or it's just, you know, it feels like not a lot happens until the end. Um, I don't think that's necessarily a fair assessment. I think it's, it's a very slow burn. So if you are patient with it, if you really give it your undivided attention, I think you'll be rewarded uh, in the end. Um, as I said, the ending is kind of ambiguous, but what's great about it is in all the, the times that I've watched this movie, um, and most recently, or I should say prior to watching it this week in preparation for this episode, I got to see it last year around my birthday at Alamo Drafthouse and Regular listeners of this podcast know that Alamo Drafthouse is my hands-down favorite movie theater. And so they showed the conversation. Um, and I just realized this week also that it is coming. It's it's 50th anniversary uh, this year, which is kind of exciting. Uh, and another reason why I wanted to cover it this year um, as a way of kind of celebrating the 50th anniversary of this movie and really trying to call attention to um, those of you who are not familiar with it, that, you know, maybe this will be uh, a movie that you will discover and love and add it to your collection of favorite movies. Um, and I think, uh, I think that's everything that I wanted to talk about with regards to, uh, the conversation. And I should apologize. I should have uh, mentioned this at the outset, uh, for those of you who follow the podcast on Instagram, you'll know that I've been sick for like the past week or so, and I'm still kind of getting over this stomach flu. Um, so today I just felt like a little out of sorts recording. So I hope it's not been too disruptive. There's been a couple of times where I've, I think I've coughed and sneezed and done all the things that a, a person with a stomach bug typically does. Uh, but I do appreciate you joining us this week to 
learn more about the conversation, uh, revisit the conversation. And, and I hope that um, if you haven't seen it, I hope you do check it out and I hope you enjoy it. I think it's a great one. Next week will be another conspiracy movie, also from the 70s. So be watching uh, Instagram to find out more about what that movie is. If you're not following the podcast, we totally recommend that you go to Instagram and follow us at the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast. Also recommend that you follow Garrett, my awesome co-host for the podcast. Uh, He has his own Instagram account, which is All Things 80s with Garrett, as well as a YouTube channel by that same name. Uh, Garrett has some great videos about movie locations and some of the movie location scouting that he's done over the years. Highly recommend that you check that out. Um, Who knows, maybe one of these days we can get out to San Francisco and check out some of the areas that were used in the movie, although I'm sure most of it's changed by now. Uh, But that's going to do it for this week. So follow us on Instagram and let us know what you think. Uh, Let us know your thoughts about the conversation. Let us know your thoughts about the podcast. And I realize as I'm coming to the end of this, I didn't even talk about my snack for recording this podcast. Now, typically we do snacks uh, when we do our movie commentaries. Uh, And of course, I am really trying to cut back on snacks these days uh, just for health concerns, um, weight loss concerns. Um, But I will say that I've been enjoying uh, some beef jerky. Um, I got this beef jerky that is... uh, it's a teriyaki flavored, um, and I don't remember the brand of it because I took it out of the bag and put it in a little container uh, that I have here at my desk. But I will share that brand probably at our next uh, episode because I'm doing a lot of beef jerky these days uh, as my snack. Um, so grab your favorite snack. Go check out Pluto TV to watch the conversation, uh, or if you're so inclined, by the DVD. Uh, I believe there is a special edition DVD that has commentary uh, by Coppola. And that's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening. Uh, We appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to uh, check in with us. And uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram if you aren't already. And uh, like the podcast and tell somebody about it. Um, We have been really fortunate and we've had a lot of new listeners in the past few months. And a lot of folks who are new to the podcast, to which I say welcome. It's great to have you here. Uh, And on behalf of Garrett, we will see you next week. Until then, take care and thanks for listening.